I hope you have had a wonderful week, and I hope that you're doing really well, because this is a great time of the year to be able to do well. But we know that in our world, there are things that are challenging and things that are, that are really crazy. And I want to talk to you about strategies for spiritual winning in this short series of three or four weeks as we look into God's Word and think about ways that we can win in our Christian walk with God in the world in which we live. Today we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 5 and the passage read just a little bit ago about be a great Christian example. Just be a great Christian example. You know, uh, it's one thing to know what we should do. It is another thing to do what we should do, to be what we should be. It's a lot harder to do that or to be that unless you just slow down to really think about the responses you're going to give when you go out into the world. This morning before I came to church, I prayed and I said, Lord, use me any way you want to use me today. In whatever conversation, in whatever experience I have in interaction, use me with the moment that I am in to be able to make a positive difference. Some years ago, they were having a lot more problems with the plague of malaria. Now, you and I have had missionary friends that have gotten malaria, and perhaps you too have suffered from malaria at some point in your life. And some years ago, a researcher discovered that a lot of the problems of malaria were actually coming from mosquitoes. When they would land and bite, they were, they were relaying this whole idea of malaria, and people were getting filthy sick. I remember Dr. McCain suffering from malaria and how we prayed for him, that God would heal him and touch his body and his family and protect over them. And one of the things they did to help with the discovery was that they started draining swamps that were near where people lived. Another thing they did was to create a real good netting that you could put around somebody. So while they're sleeping, they're not going to have to fight or worry about fighting with some mosquito that's going to come and then give them malaria and make them really sick. In this passage in 1 Peter, the apostle Peter is writing, and he's wanting us to understand that as these people are early Christians, that they're going to have some problems that are going to happen around them. There are going to be some proverbial mosquito experiences that they're going to have. They might get the malaria situation going in their life, so to speak, figuratively speaking, from something that was going on. And it was kind of hard for some of them to figure out what's happening. And so he began to identify for them what they needed to know to help them navigate and win in the Christian life. And he helped them begin to understand things like this. The world will sometimes sneer at us and will sometimes laugh at us if we have faith in Jesus Christ and we express that faith, we live that faith, we walk by that faith. But also in their land, they would have the government produce laws and the laws that would come would be laws that would send them in a whole different direction than their Christian faith. And what Peter wanted them to understand was, you need to, you need to know that we do indeed have an enemy. Now, C.S. Lewis, in his writing on the screw tape letters, he cites two demons that are having a conversation. There's a senior demon and a junior demon. And basically, the expression is, some people look at demons like, oh, they're little red capes at Halloween, trick-or-treating, kind of funny, let's give them a piece of candy. Some people think there is a demon behind every bush and every chair and every wall and every door and every place and all of that. And so they live with kind of the over-awareness and some people live with a lack of awareness. But C.S. Lewis seeks to guide us back into a real understanding of what's going on with the demonic world. 
First Peter 5, look at verse 8. Peter said something he had learned. He wasn't writing this first day he'd been a Christian, right? He's been a Christian a while. He's experienced some stuff, and now he lays down some truth. Look what he says. Be self-alert. Be self-controlled. Your enemy, the devil, now he cites him. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. That word devour is an interesting word because that word devour means to swallow whole. Now, guys, I want to ask you a question. How many of you can take a normal-sized cupcake and eat it in one bite? Raise your hand if you can do it. I could do that in grade school, did it, and was made fun of. Absolutely. You just swallow that thing whole. It's gross. You shouldn't do it. Your mama told you don't do it and all that, but it's fun to do. That is what this word is talking about. Devour whole. This is what Satan is seeking to do. Peter had been swallowed whole. And he knew now what this word meant. That's why he chose this word to describe what Satan wants to do. Now, look what else he does. He calls him a lion. Now, there are a couple different types of lions. Did you know that? If you did, say yes. There's old lions, there's young lions. A couple types of lions, okay? (laughs) Now, let's look at a young lion. A young lion is pretty stealth, has all of its reflexes, right? It's got sharp claws still. It's got sharp teeth still. It doesn't have to say anything. It just kind of creeps up, and all of a sudden, it is there. Now, an old lion doesn't have a sharper teeth, doesn't have a sharper claws, doesn't have a faster reflex. And what does it do? His big trick is to roar. Things are worse than you seem, he'll roar. You're not really that good, he'll roar. God doesn't really love you. Look how you mess up. He roars. And he says, I'm going to use that. So he doesn't use the mosquito that I started with, but now he comes in with his big lion. And everybody understood the idea of lions. As a matter of fact, throughout history, Christians were thrown to the lions, hungry lions, Daniel in the lion's den, the list goes of people that were taken up. So I want to look at two realities today that talk to us about winning strategy. First off, it's going to be a little bit negative. We're going to look at our enemy just for a little bit. Satan seeks to swallow us in many different ways. In chapters 2 through 4, he especially begins to highlight this, but we'll look at some of them. Peter had experienced, look at him, he had experienced some ways that Satan had tried to swallow him. Jesus said, you know, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no, I won't, no, I won't, no, I won't. Nah, not me, not going to do it. I'm not going to deny you. All these other guys, they can deny you. Are you kidding me? But I'll never deny, I'll never deny you, not me. By the time the rooster was crowing, he realized he had denied Jesus three times, swallowed whole. After Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, Peter's face goes long, and he had a desire to return to his old life. You ever had that desire, go to your old life? Sure. You go back to your old life. He says in John chapter 21 and verse 3, I'm going to go fishing. That's what he used to do. Nothing wrong with fishing, but for him it represented his old life. Jesus called him to be fishers of men, not fishers of fish. And his plan was wrong, and he went fishing. Just say, I'm going to go back to my old life. Peter worries about everybody else. John 21. Here, Jesus is talking with the guys and telling them their their plans and what he wants them to do for their future. And here, here is John, and here is Peter. And Jesus talks to Peter, and then Peter says, yeah, what are you going to have him do? And Jesus says, I'm paraphrasing, this isn't in the Greek, 
I'm paraphrasing. He says, Nunya. You ever said that? You know what I'm talking about. None of your business. He says, what is that to you? You see, Peter, is, he's about ready to get swallowed whole in all these situations. He understands that. And he has an idea of what it means because he's been in prison before. He knows what's going on. People in these chapters, go to chapter 2, verse 11, just for a minute. Look what it says. You are foreigners on the earth. If you're a foreigner in another land, you're a guest in that land, Right? You don't have a passport for that land, right? You don't have the understanding of everything and the nuances of that land. It's not always going to be easy for you, he says. Chapter 3 and verse 9 of 1 Peter, he says this. Treat people kindly instead of hatefully. I used to go over to Turkey Hill when John was working over there, and John said something to me one day I didn't, I didn't forget. He said, you know what? Some people come in here, and they've got a chip on their shoulder, and they act like whatever. He says, if I go ahead and be nice to them, you can help the people be nice you get a better response. In chapter 4 and verse 11, don't be shocked when you go through your testings. It's like walking through fire. But to our culture today that I'm talking to, we're not back there in Peter's time. To the culture I'm talking to today, we all have relationship struggles. We all have other struggles of our life. You just think for a minute about relationship struggles. Some people struggle with their siblings. You don't know sitting here right now if you're going to get together with them in Thanksgiving in about six weeks. Because you have conflict. You don't know. You don't know if they're welcome at your table or you're welcome at their table. You don't know what to do about it. You've got that one that you don't know if they ought to be there or not. It messes everything up. Everybody sits around on eggshells. You know who I'm talking about. It's already coming to your mind. The Sunday school teacher was talking about the Ten Commandments to the five and six-year-olds. And after explaining the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. Ask, is there a commandment that teaches how to get along with our brothers and sisters? And a little boy shot up his hand. He said, thou shalt not kill. That is a real good way. And some people have problems with stress with electronic games. I remember one particular game bothering Andrew, my son Andrew, our son. And uh, man, we couldn't figure out why he would come to the table sometimes so agitated. And we finally realized he couldn't get to that next level. That game was beyond his understanding. And we had to say to him, son, that game is not for you for now. Later on, you can maybe play that game, but right now, you're not ready for it. It just makes you mad, edgy. We can't stand to be around you. We don't want you coming to the table acting like a jerk, <laughs> like you're doing. But you know what? I thought that was something, but do you realize a lot of older people like to play games? Pam and I took our grandkids over to McDonald Playland. They wanted to go to McDonald Playland. We don't want to go to Burger King. I don't have a Playland. We want to go to McDonald's. They've got Playland. So we go back into McDonald's to the Playland. They have a nice jungle gym thing you can climb in, right? Over here in Walnut Port, nice McDonald's. <clears throat> and they also have games along the wall on the one side where they remodel it, where you can play the games. There was a guy, if you're ready for this, say yes. yes. You didn't say yes. If you're ready for this, say yes. yes. Okay, I heard you that time. Turn my hearing aid up. <clears throat> He's using a walker. He walks over to the restroom and he goes to the pot. And then he comes back and he sits down. Then his wife, these people are old. <laughs> she gets up. She takes her time. She goes to the pot. She comes back. While she's coming back, passing by the booth where I'm sitting, she starts jumping down his throat. No, you don't do it that way. You're supposed to. I can't do it the right way. They're playing a game. <laughs> 
These people are 80-some years old. If they had been my kids or my grandparents, I'd say, put the game away. <laughs> this is crazy. But you know what? Some games are killing your home right now. And we wonder why we're shooting up our culture. Some games are nothing but a shoot, of, shoot up. And if you don't have a dad or a mom to coach a kid on that, they go out and live in the reality of the game. And we see it every night on our news. It's not funny. And marriages go through things. There was a girl attending a wedding for the first time. She's a little girl with her mother. And she said, Mom, why is that girl in white dress? And her mom said, it's her happiest day ever. This is the best day ever. And so the little girl looked, everybody on the stage. And in a minute, she leaned back over and said, why is a groom in black? <laughs> so I want to know why that's happening. And some of you on social media right now, you have somebody on backup. You've got somebody on standby. And that's not a healthy way to live. You won't strengthen your marriage if you've got somebody on standby. You've got a relationship somewhere on a second phone, or you've got some sort of a way that you're communicating with them through something in the electronic world. And you know what I'm saying? There's a better way, and I'm asking you today as a little speed bump along the way and trusting the Holy Spirit to show you the way out of that. There's a better way to live than that. And you say, Kev, you're being crazy, man. Nobody, no, that won't want to happen. My wife made a predetermined decision when she was getting on social media. She wasn't going to friend those that were in her life in the past, her, her old boyfriend. I'm glad she didn't. I preached a message similar to this one time, and when I came to this part of the, that particular message, I got to the point and talked about this, and wouldn't you know it, there was a staff member that, that spoke to my wife afterwards and said, that very thing happened to me this week. It's quiet in here. I don't know how you should handle your life in those situations specifically, but I know this, if you'll starve a thought, it won't grow. If you feed a thought, it will grow. Just think about what I'm talking about. And some of you are dominated by the social media hype. You're getting into social media, and if you get enough likes, if you get enough hits, if you get enough people that are coming on and giving views to your thing, it, it, it lifts you up, and your value is determined by your number of views. Maybe you need to quit looking at some of those views and likes and all that other kind of stuff. You're more than that. Jesus has declared your value on the cross. When he died for you, he gave his life for you. And some of us live in the lane of the emotional overdraft. Satan has roared at us, and we're shuddering whenever he has come to us. And we have no bandwidth in the margin of our life because of all of the things that have happened over the last year or two. And we have no margin to live, and therefore we start burning out and getting all kind of Gretzky or Wayne Gretzky or something. We get all kinds of different ways happening in our life whenever we can't get along with the people around us. And the reason is we have no bandwidth. It's a real thing in our culture today. And Satan gets us to blame our troubles on God. Job's wife said to him, why don't you give up and curse God? The psalmist writes in 94 and verse 3, how long, God, will you stand by and let my enemies rule over me? If Satan can get us to blame God, just blame God. He'll get us neutralized because we won't trust God. Now, I'm not going to get into the wokeness of our culture and all of the things of that. But I want to encourage you to consider that Netflix is not all good and Disney is not all good and things like the new Buzz Lightyear movie is not all good. 
I had some young adults review my message, read through my message line by line before I would come up here and give it to you. And I had some young adults say, you need to add this into your message. So I just added it in. I had thought about it and wasn't going to do it. And they said, no, you need to put it in because it's where people are. Do you know what's going on in our world today? Some of you don't even know what the term wokeness means. You need to look it up. Woke and wokeness is a real deal in our culture today. It's happening all around us. You see erosion of morality and values. And he says here, you need to be on guard against this stuff. You need to know that Satan is trying to wipe you out. He's trying to take you down. He's trying to destroy you. We have an evil enemy. And it is no game that we are playing today in our culture. We're playing, we're playing for keeps, if you will. It's a real life. So if we just look at our enemy and just give the devil airtime, well, that wouldn't do us any good, would it? <laughs> so let's look at the victory strategy that God gives through Peter right here. God resources us, and he plans on us winning. Now, God cares for you. I want you to nudge your neighbor, wherever you're watching right now, nudge your neighbor, go ahead and give him a big old elbow, nudge your neighbor, and just tell them that God cares for you. Would you do that? Just nudge them hard. Let them, just go ahead and put a bruise on them. Tell them that God loves them, and uh, you might too. Um, in Fantasia's Sunday school class a few weeks ago, my granddaughter on that day was having her fifth birthday, and she was in our our Sunday school class down here in Vantasia back here was teaching, and the assignment was to draw a picture of God in you. How would you draw a picture of God in you? Well, here's how Lily drew a picture of God in her. She drew a picture. Go ahead and show that coloring picture there. You should have it. Yeah, yeah there you are. That's her and God. Now, do you have it on the side screen? Put it up here. Where is it at? So everybody can see it. And the head's blocking them. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, you get it up here, and you can see it at whatever campus you're at today. What would you draw if you were drawing a picture of God in you? Well, look at verse 10. Peter draws a picture. Here's what he does. He says in verse 10 that he restores us. So you may think about your life being broken. I had a guy tell me, oh, man, I've done too many sins. He wasn't wanting to come to church because he'd done too many sins. Well, guess what? We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Can I get a witness in the house somewhere? And we need a redeemer. We need a savior, right? And so he uses this idea here of perfect. Now, the word that he uses here for perfect is the same word as used in Mark chapter 1 and verse 19 talking about mending of nets. Catartasi. It's a Greek word. And it means to mend the nets. So when he's talking about mending up the nets here in this, in this passage, he's talking about, I'm going to restore you, God. He's saying, I'm going to restore you, and you're going to walk with a limp. Yeah, that's all right. You're going to walk with a limp, but everybody's going to know that you have been redeemed because I have redeemed you and called you by name. You are my child. You're part of my citizenry. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, God comforts us when we are in trouble so that we may share in the same comfort with other people. Peter's able to write this because he has gone through this. Verse 10, he strengthens us when we're battered. He restores to us. Verse 10, the New Living Translation puts it this way, in kindness, he will place you on a firm foundation. This is powerful. He's gonna place you on a firm foundation. Now, one of the artists has put together a beautiful picture of a guy who is just, he just, he's worn out. And Jesus is standing there behind him, holding him up. You ever felt that way? I have. You're just fried from life. You've had enough. It may be Friday, but it might be Monday. I don't know when it is. It may be Sunday afternoon. You just feel like, I am spent. 
and you feel like you've just been wrestling with the world and all that's going on. And Jesus is holding us. And what he says here, God's going to hold you. God's got this. He's going to hold you up. He's going to keep you strong. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has taken you except that it's common to mankind. Everybody face them. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He will provide a way out so you can endure it. Know your limits is what I want to point out next. Your own capabilities. Verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Peter lacked this before. He didn't have that. Verse 9, resist Satan's distractions. Chapter 4 and verse 7 of James says, resist the devil. He will flee from you. Verse 9, stand firm in your faith. Manage your decision to follow Christ. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. Now look at that word humble, and I'm thinking, what does that mean? Does that mean be a wimp? Nope. It's strength under control. What does it mean? This word humble means something special, and this is what it means. When it says that we are to humble ourselves, we're supposed to become like a child. When Moses went on the backside of the desert for 40 years, God wanted to humble him down. That's what, it, that's what it's talking about. When Joseph went into the prison for a number of years, however long it was, he went in there because God wanted to go ahead and humble him down. It didn't look like he needed to be humbled down. It looked like he was already a humble servant. He's a great servant in the Old Testament, my favorite Old Testament character, I believe. And he was there. But notice what the scripture says. Your future is great whenever you do this because in verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him, on God, because he cares for you. So this morning, I prayed through a lot of staff, I prayed through a lot of church people, and I prayed for our church services and the things that were going to be happening. Early this morning, I was praying, and as I prayed over all of those things, I said, Lord, use us how you want us to be used, and here are a couple things that I'm kind of worried about, don't know about, just give me guidance in the moment. That illustration I shared a little bit ago, I asked for guidance in the moment to share it or not. I felt I should. Cast all your anxieties on him. Know your future is great. In verse 4, he says, you've got a massive reward ahead of you if you walk with God. In verse 6, look what it says. Contemporary English version puts it this way. He, God, will honor you when the time comes. This is powerful. Tony John Dungy and James Brown, J.B. Brown, you've seen them on TV if you watch sports. And these two guys were on an interview the other day, and I saw it, and I thought, Powerful. They gave an illustration I think is wonderful. They're Christian men, both of them. They're, they minister and they also are in sports. And so they said, you know what? If you watch a football game, the, the coaches have coaches that sit up high in the press box. They sit up high in the press box. They know what's going on down on the field and they'll call a play to the sideline. They'll take that into the player. So the player on the field, you'll see them doing this, like a quarterback, you see them doing this kind of thing. You know what they're doing? They're listening to what they're telling them on the sideline. That's what's happening. They're listening into that. Guess what? The guy up there can see what the guy down here can't see. The guy up there knows where the weakness is. The guy knows your strength and says, if you'll do this, you'll be able to get to the end zone. Are you following what I'm saying? If you are, you see what's going down here because God is high up and he sees us down here in this situation and he calls out an audible and he says, hey, I want you to do it this way. And you say, that doesn't make any sense. He says, I see what you don't see. I know what you don't know. I'm taking you where you can't get on your own. If you'll just lock into me, if you'll just listen to me, I will help you get there because what we want you to do is win in the end. Can I get a witness in the house? That's what he's saying. So he wants you to win. He wants you to win. He wants all of our children to win. All of our teenagers to win. 
all of our young adults to win, all of our young marrieds to win. He wants all of us to win, even down to old age. Christine Kane, she said something that was very interesting. She said, we live in a day where as Christians, we are considered foolish if we live by faith. Let me read some of what she said. Sometimes in our schools, workplaces, and in our communities, we're surrounded by people who believe different things, and we're considered foolish if we believe them. If we believe in Jesus at all, we're considered foolish. Having grown up in Australia, where less than 2% even go to church, she said, I'm used to this. I determined a long time ago, nothing will stop me from living my faith. It's a personal journey, people. For example, when people ask me if I believe in the Bible, my answer is a quick yes. Do you believe in Jesus and the virgin birth? Yes. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross, rose from dead? Yes. You really believe that? Then she says, why? Because Christ lives in me and I live by faith. I may not understand it all, but I believe it all. Do you believe it? I can't help but believe the world wants us. She continues to be people who believe in God, who believe God, and who are willing to act on what we believe. I'm prepared to look foolish for him in these days, to be a person who is full of the joy of the Lord, who dares to believe that our best days are ahead of us and not behind us, solely because God is great, because he is who he says he is, because he will do what he says he will do. Friends, the Lord Jesus wants you to win. And he gave Peter some ideas about how to help us win. Peter wrote them down. And here they are, still time-tested and ready for our use today. Lord Jesus, you know where we are in our lives. You know what is going on in the world around us. And you know how we need help, your help. You know how we need life, the life that you give, more abundant. So I pray for everyone that is here today, no matter where we are in life, no matter what we're experiencing, help us to turn our cares and life over to you. I pray, Lord, you would fight our battle for us in Jesus' name. Amen.